just kind of get back in where we, we got down through verse 23 last time. Um, I want to go back up and pick this list up here just quickly. And then I want to overview the next two events in the chapter. And then next time we'll go back and dig out the details. Just kind of give an overview and then go back in and uh, see what's going on here. We're, we're in verse 20, so let's start reading there. And he said, That which cometh out of, a, out of the man that defileth the man for, from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornicator, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. Now, again, what the Lord is doing is he's been dealing with the Pharisees um, and their questioning of, uh, of the Lord and his disciples about not washing their hands. Back up in verse 6, uh, verse 3, 4, 5 there. And he answers them in verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites? Uh, again, a wonderful way to start a rebuke. You're a bunch of hypocrites, you know. Uh, you say one thing, you're doing another, you're just out there. The, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So again, they're approaching this in that how religionists do. They approach it with that your lips, that external issue, but the heart is not there. Verse 7, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of, of, of man. Again, the issue there, uh, because their lips honor me and their heart is far from me, their worship is vain. Their worship is empty. And again, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel are after, they're out there, uh, focusing in on the external issue. They, they know that there, there is a defilement. They know they're defiled. They're just trying to fix that defilement by doing an external activity. And the Lord, he's, we've, and we've been through the passage. I'm not going to reteach the passage. He's like, listen, verse 20, that which cometh out of the man that defileth the man for from within. The issue isn't the external. The issue is the internal and where the real defilement comes from isn't the external activity rather it's the internal issue of the heart and the external expression is just <laughs> verse 21 22 there the 13 things in that list that is just external that's the external of uh, expression of the evil that comes from an evil heart. And that's literally what he's doing. So the Lord's, if you're going to fix up the external, you want to fix that defilement, you got to fix the internal, Israel, and that's your problem is you're not fixing the heart issue. Your lips are with me. We looked at that last time there in Isaiah where they delight in the approaching to God. They don't really delight in finding him because when they find him, they don't like what they find. It's in the approaching. It's in the ceremony. It's in the activity. Uh, come back to Proverbs 
chapter 4. You see, the issues of life are coming out of the heart of man. Uh, Proverbs 4, we looked at this last time, just kind of remind ourselves, you know, it's kind of, it's critical to understand how you function, your spirit, your soul, and your body. Uh, Proverbs 4, verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it the heart are the issues of life, the heart. Romans 10, Paul says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness. So it's not the pumpy, the, the organ, it's the thinking process. It's the mental attitude that, that is running the issues of life. Uh, if you come over to Proverbs 23, 23 and verse 7, 23, 7. So all of the activities of life, 23, 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. As for as he thinketh where? In his heart. See, the, when you go and do something, activity-wise, you're doing it because, well, I want to do that. See, this evening for dinner, I wanted Popeye's chicken. Okay? So where did I go? Arby's. No, I went to Popeye's chicken. Why? Because that's what I wanted. But where did that, that, that activity comes from? inside of me. I just had a hankering for the spicy chicken sandwich, you know, and a little bit of uh, mashed potatoes and gravy, you know, and a little sweet tea. It just, you know, I hit you every now and then. And that's the issue. It's coming out of the heart. That connection in your inner man between your spirit and your soul is the mind, the thinking. Your spirit has a mind, a thought process. Your, you, your, your, your soul has that so we're talking about the function of the soul of man. And it's this way for everybody, believer, unbeliever. You want to understand why the unbelievers do what they do? Where does it come from? Inside. They want to, you know what, I was standing in line behind a guy, and guess what? I don't, believer or not believer, I don't know. We assume an unbeliever, and guess what he was ordering? Well, he had the big boat of chicken. He wanted to, he had a family, you know, because he had like four of this and five of that. I'm like, dude, really? Leave some for the rest of us. Come on now. But I didn't say that, you know. <laughs> he just goes through. But that's the same with him, out of the heart. And that's the issue. The issue that the Lord is pressing is you guys have a heart problem, internal. You fix that, then you'll get that external issue ironed out. Come over to Genesis 6, or back over to Genesis 6, and, and that's really the, the, the whole of the crux of the matter that the Lord is dealing with. Uh, look at Genesis 6. Uh, here God's going to talk to Noah. Verse number 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And, and again, the, the two sides of your thinking, imagination and thought. Now, the thoughts, that's where the facts lie. That's where the logic is. That's where reality is based. Here it is, okay, your, your thoughts. The imaginations, that's the creative side. That's your dreams, the, um, 
I heard it said one time, that's where poetry lies. That's where the, have you ever, ha, have you ever come across someone and they're real creative? They funk, their whatever side of the brain it is, I couldn't tell you anymore because minds don't work that way. They function in what? In that creative environment. And sometimes you wonder if they actually ever really live in reality because they're off over here and, you know, the, the, the water on the stove is done burnt off, you know, instead of, you know, what are you doing? And, and that's literally the issue. In you, in your thoughts, is where facts are developed and the reality is developed. And in your imaginations, that's where the lie comes in. That's where the lie gets developed because your imagination, you begin to think you can do something. And in reality, you can't do anything, especially when you think about our justification and along those eternal life issues. So when you, when you come, uh, you're in uh, Genesis, come over to Jeremiah 17 on our way back. So the, where does Satan work? He works in that imagination zone. Uh, Jeremiah um, 17. This is a verse, verse 9. This is a verse to always remember, always have in the back of your mind. That about, You see, Satan works in that, compon- that imagination piece, taking the truth of God and doing what? Turning it into a lie. How'd they do that? He came in and he beguiled Eve. He didn't use anything fancy, just used, yea, have God said. Comes over here to you and says, yeah, I know you're justified, but did he really do enough? Religion then kicks in. And what does it do? It makes you feel good, doesn't it? And he begins to, imaginations are wonderful. I have a vivid one, you know. And you get into them, and the next thing you know, emotionally, where are you? You're way down the road, and, and reality comes up and smacks you. You've got to put gas in the car, dude. You know, it's like, you know. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Think about that. Boy, you need to have this always in your thinking, even us today. Your heart is what? Deceitful. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But then notice the end of the verse, who can know it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Notice, who knows, who can know it? And then the next verse, I, the Lord, know it. I know you. How does he know? Remember Hebrews 4, verse 12, the word of God is quick and powerful, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you read that book, that book is reading you. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to expose your heart. He, that, that's why in that verse 10 there, even to give every man according to his ways. If you want to use verses to prove a point, then you can do that. And, but what will happen? The word will expose that agenda. And it usually exposes it by bringing up a whole ton of verses that kind of crush what you're thinking. <laughs> okay? So when you think about this, when you're thinking you're doing the right thing, when you're thinking you're doing the best thing, guess what? 
you got no problem with what you're doing. It's right in my, every man doeth right in his own eyes. And then the word of God comes up because the word of God, come back to James chapter 1. Because the word, the only objective standard that we have to really understand what's going on in our lives is the word of God. He's the one that knows your heart. So when you talk to people or when you get to thinking and they, I just know there is, you know, whatever. Well, no, the way you, you know that is by God's word and what does God's word say? And that's the point here. Um, when you, you got James 1. Hold on here. Run back to Mark 7 just real quick. And let's catch a phrase and then we'll go to James 1. So when you're when here in Mark 7, the list that he's going to do in verse 21 and following, there's 13 of them. Now the corresponding chapter in Matthew 7 or Matthew 15, he lists seven things that the Pharisees are guilty of. Then here he lists 13 things that they are guilty of. So they kind of tend to work, work out here. And, and again, notice what's coming out of man. Verse 21, out of the heart, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. You see, no one goes into evil living without a process of evil thinking. All right, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. So come back, hold on to there, come back to James 1. Sin doesn't just start. It, it, I'm talking about the action, in the action, okay? Adultery, fornication. That just doesn't happen without there being a long thought process to get to that point. There's a... That, by the way, that's why you can't stop sin by stopping it with an action. Now, you can stop sinning in the moment, but sin didn't come in the moment. It came from what? A process of thinking, a line of thinking. That's why Paul will say, Titus 2, that the grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness, deny. Deny. Stop it. But what are we doing? Ungodliness. Well, how do we do that? Well, we focus on living righteously and soberly in this present evil world. See, there's a thought process. Notice, uh, no, notice just real quick here, James 1. James 1. And watch verse 13 and following here. The, 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 uh, how sin develops here. Watch him say this. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. That, Paul says that when things happen, it's common to man. When trouble comes and things fall apart, guess what? It's common to what? To man. It's happening to everybody. You're nothing special. I love that verse, by the way, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's a great verse because what it does is it takes that hot-headed, fat-headed Christian and puts him right down where he really is. 
because most of Christianity think they're what? Special. Well, you're special in that God has blessed you with all spiritual blessings and made you complete in Christ, but you're not special in that what did he do? He left you here on planet Earth. And there's a suffering associated with that, the sin curse and so forth, Romans 8 and everything. But the thing is, is you can't say God's tempting me because he, he doesn't have to. He just leaves you here. Now, for you and I, he's equipped us to handle that and in the sound doctrine. But now watch verse 14. But every man is tempted... When he is drawn away, now watch, of his own lust and enticed. So how is man tempted? It isn't God laying it in front of him. What is it? It's the heart of man. It's from with what's inside of him. He's drawn away. There's the presentation of the idea, drawn away. Here's the imagination drawing out something in the mind. He's, he's uh, drawing, drawn away of his own lust and enticed. There's, there's the illumination of it. It's a, it starts as a seed and now it's growing in the, in the thinking. Verse 15. Then when lust hath, what? Conceived. So you have the presentation in the imagination. You have this illumination of going, okay, wow, that'd be kind of cool. Now you have a debate going on inside of you. You're arguing, should I do it or not do it? See, You're, are you going to, it's conceit, are you going to yield to it? If you do, what's it going to bring forth? Death. death, yeah, exactly, sin. The wages of sin is death. And sin, verse 15, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So what do you do? Think about this. I don't, it's, think about fornication and an adultery. I, I don't know. You can't use drinking or smoking because they're, those, are, those are just bad living choices. <laughs> it's not a sin against, you know. But you think about the list in Mark 7. Evil thoughts, evil speaking, fornications, adulteries lasciviousness, all that stuff, you just kind of go, ooh, ooh, you know. Well, we're, it didn't just happen. It started with an idea. We got hatch an idea. Then, it's, then we have a debate about it. Then we have a decision that we're going to do it. And then we go have the action. The action now is out doing it. And then we have judgment, which is death. So there's a thought process to it. Now, for some, it's long and drawn out. For a believer, it should, <laughs> you should never have it. But if you do, because we have that old sin nature tendency, it should be very long and drawn out. But for an unbeliever, for man, it's what? It can be pretty quick. I was reading this. Come back to Mark 7. I was reading a uh, little autobiography is that when you write about yourself yeah okay it just kind of slipped my mind there uh, that uh, Dillinger had written up uh, about his escapades in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and everything as a bank robber and you know what he said the plan was hatched and the plan was executed there's no not a lot of thinking but what but when you think about him what was he after 
He's, he wasn't after money. He was after fame, recognition. The money just happened to be nice. So what did he do? He's like, this is what I want. What do I want? I want fame. I want money. I want prestige. How do I get there? Well, I get there by doing this. So what did he do? Boom. You know, Bonnie and Clyde, same thing. When you begin to really think about and get down into the baser element of this, for from within comes what? The evil thoughts. From within comes all of this, what does man really want? Job says there, uh, he, he that's born of the woman, he, uh, full, yeah, thank you. Full, and he, sparks fly up, you know, we just, it's a natural thing. There ain't nothing going to happen to you. There's no way. Who, who's the only one that can stop it? Christ and who you are in Christ. So when you begin to think about this thing back here in Mark 7, Notice what he, what he does here in, in 7, 21. For from within, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts. That's evil thinking, okay? It's, 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 it's not the action yet. It's learning that James 1, that process. There's a debate that goes on, an internal debate, and you come to a conclusion that, you know what? I, it's not that I want it. I deserve it. It's, I, it, makes, it makes me feel good. See, now how we've moved away from logic into that realm of, of emotions. And, man, if I just have it, that's why it's never enough. They caught a guy bank robbed one time. They put him in prison, and that guy asked him, why did you keep going back to the same bank over and over again? Because it was not enough. And it became more not so much about the money, but about the, the, the adrenaline and the hook to get her to go in. And, 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 and he says, well, eventually, didn't you think the teller would wreck? He goes, I didn't care. It was about the, the game of doing it and not getting caught. Well, then he got caught because eventually they found out it was, you know, Henry or whoever the guy's name is. What does man do? Same thing. What, by the way, what do you and I do? Same thing. Okay. Mark 7, verse 21, proceed evil thoughts. So there's, again, no one goes into evil living without a process of evil thinking. Then he talks there about adultery. Uh, evil thoughts, adulteries. Think about the John 8 with the woman taken in adultery. And what's the Lord do to that pharisaical crowd? You without the first sin, you can throw, without sin, throw, why? Because they were doing the same thing. And again, that's the issue here. These can be laid at their feet just as they can be laid at that unbelieving, unbeliever's feet. And that's the point the Lord's making here is here you guys are. You've got the oracles of God. You've got the word of God. You ought to be leading the charge, and yet you're stuck over here trying to fix something, and you've missed the internal issue. Fornications, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceitful, lascivious, an evil eye. Isn't that, you know, I think it's in 2 Peter 2. Uh, let's see, damnable heresies. Talking about evil continually. Talking about these guys. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, 
See, there, that, by the way, the eye gate is what? This is where the imagery comes in and where you catch it and you go, I got to have that. They said that uh, Elon Musk just bought Twitter and all that stuff, so everybody's hooplaing about that. And they were talking, and uh, he had made his comments about free speech. And, you know, all the people are saying, well, you know, there's got to be restrictions against watching somebody get killed on there. And I'm like, I don't think anybody was thinking about putting that on there. But they, what, they Facebook live stream it. They don't think about But you think about why in the world would you have to say, well, we don't want to see pornography there. How, do you, how does pornography catch you? It's an eye thing. You've put that image in there. That's why back in the Old Testament, the prophets and all those guys talk about, hey, when you go into Baal, you're to tear down their images. They had all this imagery. Why? Because the eyes are the gate into it. Evil eye. They got, they're, they're messed up here. Not a, a uh, back in Mark 7, pride, foolishness, I, blaspheme. That's a great list, isn't it? To think about who you are. Woohoo! Thank you. Woo! You know? But again, that's an, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not the whole exhaustive list with them, but it gives you a glimpse into what religion is producing. And that's what the Lord is after. Now, Paul does the same thing for you and I. He gives us list. Come over to Romans 1. And just as the Lord lists here what the Pharisees were doing, Paul comes along and says, you know what? Here's what your flesh does. Guess what? Same thing. Look at Romans 1. It's very fascinating. Romans 1, you start there in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. How, how did they get a darkened heart? They went away from the word of God. They got away from who they were. They rejected, verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... See, we don't want God. We want to do it our way. We want to do it my way. I don't, want, I don't care what the Word of God says. I'm doing it this way because this way allows me to get to this, and that's what I'm after. So what am I doing? I have the thought. I've got the, the justification. I've got the internal debate, and I've concluded that, you know what? That verse shouldn't say, thou shalt not. It should say, only in these certain circumstances. And I'm not in that. So you've got this... He gave them over to a, I love that, reprobate mind. A reprobate mind is, some, is, some, is a mind that is completely worthless. Not, it's a mind that isn't functioning the way God intended the mind to function. They don't want God. Professing themselves to be wise. Professors, professing. They became fool. With their lips do worship me, but their heart is far from me. By the way, verse 29, being filled with all. Here's a life, a world, a culture, a society that has put God out of its thinking. And when you do that, you know what you develop? Your own vain religious system. You're not going by God's word. You're out here doing it on your own vain imagination. 
So you're being filled with such wonderful stuff. All unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignant whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covet breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful. What That is such a tremendous vote of confidence for mankind. Where's that coming out of? The heart. Paul says, when you see this going on, this is why you've left the Word of God. You don't want to retain God in your knowledge. By the way, verse 32, here's the depth of it, the depths of sin. Who, knowing the judgment of God. You see, they know things. They understand stuff. They just don't want to live by it. They know that they which commit such things are worthy of death. What are, they know that the wages of sin is death. They know that. But what do they do? They do it anyway. Now, watch what he says. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You see, this is how far sin takes you. You don't just do the thing but now you're over here rejoicing in others doing the same thing that you are doing. So now you're not only rejoicing in your own condemnation, but now you're rejoicing in others' condemnation. And that's pretty low. That's the depths of what sin will lead you to. Come over to Galatians 5. That's exactly where the, what the Lord's doing in Mark 7. Hey, guys, you need to be, look at what you're doing here. You're, you're, you're messing with the external. you got to fix the root, the internal issue. Galatians 5, a tremendous passage, starts here in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? So if I want to know if my activity is my flesh operating or if I'm operating properly in who I am in Christ, Paul gave me, gives me a list here on how to identify self-examine. He tells the... Corinthians, examine yourselves. I can check myself, see. Now, if I'm, it, usually when you check yourself, it isn't as bad as, it really is. That's why you got 6-1 where you got some brothers come along and say, hey, listen, that's getting pretty bad. We need to talk to you, see. But what do you got? You've got an examination method. You've got an issue here. Of what, here's what life without God's word can do to you. So you got to pay attention. Manifest. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. If you see any of these things in your life, you know you can identify. They're manifesting. You can have confidence. When you see this happening, it's the works of the flesh in your life. Watch what he does. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Uh, those, uh, not only are, are, do we have physical activity outward, but envyings and murders, or, uh, uh, wrath,
wrath and strife and that's internal issues. Ephesians talks about being angry and sin not. Colossians talks about, hey, I told you to mortify, put off those. Now let's come over here and uh, put on these. I just had them and they went. Uh, Colossians 3, verse number 8. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blaspheme, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. See, that's all internal sins, attitude sins. Galatians 5, uh, 21 envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. You see, th though, hey, here's, here's how you can, it's not hard to figure out when the flesh is operating. I got a list that tells me this is what this is. And that's what Paul's saying here. E even though we live under grace, you just can't go out there and do whatever you want to do. See, we... <laughs> You were already doing that before you found Calvary and grace. But what grace does is grace comes in and liberates you to now go live beyond this, these things. So you were already living, Romans 1, you were already doing that. You come to Calvary, you, learn, you, take, you, you, you find Christ, you find life in Christ, you find grace. And what does grace say? That was you, now you can live over here without that. Now, watch verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Here's what God's Word produces in your life. And that's where we want to be. If you come over to 2 Timothy 3, <clears throat> I wasn't intending to spend a lot too much time on this, but if you look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, this Know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. I love this next one, unthankful. You know what separates you and I from the heathen? Thankfulness does. They weren't thankful. See, unthankful, unholy, without nat, uh, natural affections, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, and that's Mark 7 with the Pharisees. They got a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So what will the works of the flesh, those lists. Now, so when we come back to Mark 7, what Christ is demonstrating to the Pharisees and the scribes, but then also to the little flock and the, and the 12 and the group around, is that the problem in Israel is not an external activity thing. It's that internal that's pushing the external. They miss the heart problem. Their lips worship me, but their heart is far from me. And that's the problem. They're, they're uh, promoting the doctrines and the traditions of the elders and the men rather than my word. And that's what he's doing. And he's, been, he's demonstrating the problem that Israel is ultimately facing. Now, in verse 24 here, you have to think about what, what Mark is doing. Mark is portraying the Lord Jesus Christ as that suffering servant. Okay? Matthew the king, 
By the way, Matthew the king only gives seven in the list because he's after a pronouncement. Say, Mark, in Mark here, uh, verse 24 to 30, you will find in Matthew 15, the Syrophoenician woman, little different tweak, little different information. But then the deaf and the dumb man from verse 31 and following is only found here in Mark. I know they say Matthew 15, but it, it's, it's not the same thing. It's not the same guy. It's a different guy. So what you have here is you have Mark. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the one who's come to serve those that are in need. We saw it. He fed the 5,000. He's demonstrating the servant providing for. He goes out into the storm on the sea. He walks out there. Nowhere in, in Mark doesn't have Peter coming to him. The other guys do that. But why? Because here's the Messiah, and he's providing protection in their time of trouble, i.e. the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation that's coming. So you have these pictures being painted here. Then he comes up against the Pharisees, and he says, Listen, your problem, Israel, is apostate unbelief, heart problem. Get that fixed, then everything else will get fixed. Now he's going to, and from verse 24, and from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. He's leaving the area where the Pharisees were, where he was just at, and he's going north. To in, back up into the land of the Gentiles, Tyre and Sidon. You know what he's doing? He's trying to get away from them. Pharisees won't follow him into the Gentiles because that's just like going into the, you know, the dark forest. Don't go in there. You know, they just won't go up there. And he's trying to get away from them to sit with the little flock and the believing remnant and the, the 12 and, and start doing some teaching, which he'll get to here in the next chapter. But he can't be hid. Somebody finds out he's there, you know? <laughs> and, again, we just have a, a little bit of left. I just want to go th over these two quickly. Next week we'll get into kind of more of the details. But there's a lady that sees him, verse 25, for a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. So here you've got a mom and her daughter's sick. And, and we all have moms. And we all know what moms do when their kids are sick. They will literally move heaven and earth to make them better. Okay? And, and it's just the way moms are. And here's mom. She, this mother's heart, grief, sorrow. He, she's got a devil. Verse 26, the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nature, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. So he, her, the devil's got her daughter. She's possessed, and she comes to the Lord, but what's her problem? Verse 26, Matthew calls her a, a woman of Canaanite, Cain, uh, the, uh, she's a Canaanite. What is she? She's a Greek. She's not a Jew, see? Syrophoenician there, Syro, that's Syria. Phoenicia, that's her ancestral back. She's from Phoenicia living in Syria. That, so that's, by the way, that's how far north he is now when you think about the map. He's up there, see? She, by nature, her race is, is, she's a Phoenician. She lives in Syria, and she's totally alienated from Israel. She should never be 
able to come to Israel's Messiah and make this request, except for the next verse. See, you see, there's, there's a picture being painted here by the Lord in this event. And the picture being painted is here's a Gentile woman, here's a Gentile that is going to do something that no one in Israel, the nation, has done. And that's demonstrate who he is and what he's doing and, and the potential fallout from Israel being in the proper position, doing what they're supposed to be doing, and the fact is that they're not doing that. She's coming to him for help, that servant to come and to help. Now watch what she says, verse 27, or what the Lord says. And Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it under the dogs. And she, said, she answered and said unto him, yea, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Now, I'm going to dissect that just real quick here. <laughs> Notice it says let, that the children first be filled not fed. A lot of times we, we say it quickly about being fed. It is, it's being what? Filled. That's a blessing. Israel was to carry the blessings first. See. Then she says, again, <laughs> let the children first be fed, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it unto dogs. Again, Mark is setting the stage here about what's going on. It's not right to take Israel's food, Israel's blessings, Israel's privilege, and give it to the dog. By the way, that's the Gentiles. What are you? You're a Gentile dog. That's what you are. Okay? Why? Well, Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 says that that is how the Old Testament portrays this relationship. Circumcision, uncircumcision. With Christ, have everything, and without God in the world, no hope, no Christ. No, that's, that's what it is. But her, look at her answer. Yet, Lord, yeah, yes, Lord, <laughs> yes, Lord. She's identifying who he is. Who is he? She, he's Israel's Messiah. He's Jehovah God, Jehovah provider, Jehovah healer. He's everything. But notice what she said, how she says it. Yet the dogs under the table... Now, look at that, under the table. So, I have two dogs. We've had five at one time. And you know what? Those dogs are a part of my family, but they have a place. See? They're not, they are to be there. That's what she's saying. The Gentiles, we're supposed to be there in the kingdom. We're supposed to be here. We belong here. We just belong in the proper position. See? See, she's not, he's not saying, you dogs never get here. No, we are here. We belong here. He doesn't say, verse 29, and he said unto her, get out from underneath the table. He doesn't say that at all. He says, no, you're right. Notice what she said. I belong, but I belong under the table. That's what she's saying. Proper place, exactly. Now, notice Israel, verse 27. She, catch, she caught something the Lord said in verse 27. When she says, 
Yes, Lord, yet the dog's under the table. She's catching to what he just said to her in verse 27, that the children, what? First. You see, when you count numbers, there's the cardinal counting, $1, $2, $3. They're all equal. But then there is the ordinal numbering, first, second, third, fourth. You know what second place is? First loser. <laughs> okay. Sorry, that's a little uh, NASCAR, a little uh, uh, Talladega Nights for you, okay? But the thing is, is what is she? first priority, second, third? That's, what, that's why children first be filled. She goes, yeah, you fill them up and then let the overflow of the blessings come down here to where we're at, the dogs. The dogs are second. That's the point. See, the point, the, Mark is painting this picture. The Gentiles are ready. The Pharisees don't get it. The Gentiles are ready. See? They're here. She's grasped. Her faith has grasped what's going on. She has some discernment of faith that the Pharisees don't have. She caught it. That's why he would say unto her, verse 29, this saying go, uh, for this saying, go thy way, and the, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. In Matthew, he says, your faith is bigger than anybody else I've ever seen around here. Now, that's my ad lib. Okay? She's grasped. Her humility... Her understanding, her faith, put herself under Israel's table. By the way, she's persistent, <laughs> but yet she's confident. That's why. But she's confident that his goodness, his kindness, will come and deal with her appropriately, regardless of Israel's blindness. And that's the tremendous thing about the servant and take serving the need of the people. You see, Israel's in blindness here. That's what he just did with the Pharisees. You're gone, man. You're in apostasy. And she's counting on his goodness, kindness, regardless of that, to do what? Come and fix her, her daughter. And he does that. And he does it from a... With, with just speaking the word, which is how he does, th does things, okay? He takes care of her. She understands, first the children, second the dogs, and let's do that. By the way, she doesn't make a demand, it's my right that you fix my kid. She doesn't rebel. She has none of this protesting at all. She just comes. Again, Matthew, great is thy faith. Mark here. Here's the servant responding to the need that faith, her faith in him, and the fact that he sees it in her, that heart of faith and that response. What did the Pharisees need? They needed that heart cleanup. They needed the faith, and she. they don't have it. She did. Now, verse 30. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee, 
through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. Now he's back down where we were in Mark 5, in, in the, the Gadarenes and all that, that dark area there, the satanic stronghold. That's where he's back now. Again, in the, the land of the Gentiles, he's back in there, and, and but yet something's going to happen here that's tremendous. And they bring un, unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. So there evidently are believers in this area. Because what did they do? They brought him. They bring this guy. Deaf. He's deaf, but and he's not dumb in that he can't speak. He's got a speech impediment. Actually, down in verse 25, or I'm sorry, verse 35, and straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. So this guy comes, so there's and that, I'll just tell you, at this time, Israel is, is scattered. That believing remnant is scattered. They're populated that whole, under the Gentile, the fifth course of Leviticus 26, they scatter. They're out there, and here they are. Now, what he's going to do with this guy, I'll just tell you, and then we'll look at it, is he's going to demonstrate a process of restoration for Israel with the lady and the daughter, here's, he's demonstrating, here's the Gentile, they're ready to hear it, they're in the proper space, they got faith rolling, and then he says, but Israel is an apostasy, and here's how I'm going to fix them. Here's the process, okay? Because what is he going to do? Verse 32, and they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they besieged him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude, now watch, and put his fingers in his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. Now, most, the majority of the time, all you see is like with the lady and her daughter. He speaks, and it's done. He moves over here, and he just touches, and it's done. Remember the lady that touched the hem of his garment? But in that, there's more to that. There's a process here. What's he do? Six fingers in the ears. And then spits, spit on his hand, little rubby-dub-dub, not spit like tobacco, you know, the, you know, a sailor, okay? Makes up a little thing, and then he touches him. That's a process. When the lady hit the hem of his garment, you remember that when we looked at it? And virtue went out? See, that, she could have just hit the garment, been healed, but he didn't say that. He said, and then virtue, and we went and looked at the garment, and the fact is that he's standing there in the full appropriate Jewish attire of that priest and everything that, you know, uh, picturing of the believer. There he stood. He's right where Moses, he's wearing what Moses said they were supposed to wear. And virtue, goodness, him. He, and he's like, who touched me? Well, you know he knew, but what's he need? He needs the, the acknowledgement back from her. Why? It's a process. That's what we have here now. He comes in. He's going to teach. Well, I thought I had quieted that, didn't I? Potential spam. You guys get those nowadays? Unreal. Modern technology, right? So what's he going to do? Verse 33. He put his fingers in his, into his ears, spit, touched his tongue, 
And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. Um, path that is, uh, um, I just had the, the language. Aramaic. Thank you. I had a note here. Uh, and that's because it's a, it's a Syriac language. That's what it is. Because of the, who's around him. You see, he's going to begin to demonstrate to the little flock the process of restoration. What's he going to do to this guy? Open his ears. What was Israel's spiritual condition? They were deaf, weren't they? They, didn't have, they couldn't hear the word, so then they couldn't go speak the word. And he's like, I'm going to fix that. This is how I'm going to do it. And next time, we'll look through and see what these... He's going to take his fingers, the finger of God, see. Verse 36, just real quick, and he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. What's he doing? He, he, he takes away, he takes the guy away from everybody, the big crowd. He's demonstrating to the little flock. He's teaching them about, the, he's going to restore Israel. Because look at their condition, deafness. They couldn't hear the voice of God in their midst. They had John the Baptist ignored him, rejected him. Now they've got the Lord Jesus Christ. They're ignoring him. They're going to kill him just like they killed John. And then they're going to have the little flock, the early Acts period. What are they going to do to them? Go after them. I mean, they killed James, the apostle. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're deaf, spiritual deafness. So they can't then what? They can't speak the word. See? They can't speak the proper what needs to be done? They're over here in the vain religious system. Okay? Slapping their gums together. So what you see here is, an, is, is the spiritual condition is what's being pictured here. Again, just as the Gentile, the woman, what's she picturing? Here's the Gentile condition. That Syrophoenician woman, is, she, she's saying, we're ready. We're on board. You know? It's just kind of like Acts 8. Philip goes over there to that Ethiopian. A picture of the Gentile. And what's he say? What's Isaiah 53? What does this mean? And Philip shows him and says, that's why I was in Jerusalem. Where is he at? And Philip's like, well, he's close. You know, brings him. They go down. They bat. What? Gentiles are ready. They go over there to, Samaria, uh, to the Samaritans. He's got to go get Peter to come and deal with, baptize them because of who the Samaritans are in the word of God. But what? Samaritans are ready. But didn't Acts 1 tell them, you're going to start in Jerusalem and then Judea, then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts? And you know what's happened? Everybody's ready, except Acts 8 starts with, nobody's in Jerusalem but the 12. Who's not ready? Israel's not Why? They're deaf and dumb. Here's the condition. Here's, so he says, be open. Verse 35 and straightway his ears were open, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. He's healed. You know what? They see this happen, but it's not the normal mode in the miracle working. Why? You don't see him do the finger thing. You just see him speak the word, touch, walk by, you know. Here, 
he's like, okay, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm first going to have to unplug their ears so they're no longer deaf, so then they can then go and speak the word, the proper word. So they're learning it. They're learning the process out here. And he's doing this so that the little flock understands it's not his time to be talking about leaving the crucifixion yet, but what's coming. He's going to begin to lay this out that I'm going to leave, and while I'm gone, you've got to occupy. You've got an occupation to do here. And when you do this, this is, you know, that's why he tells them, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Ghost will take care of that. What, well, could you imagine? That'd be so cool. Not have to study and work and slave away and just say, I bet I, you know, boom, and out of fly. Well, it doesn't work that way, but it did for them. And that's the tremendous thing. If you come over in chapter 8, and if you look down at verse 23, and he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if, if he saw aught. Notice the process. They say, can you heal him? And besought him to touch him. The Lord didn't do that. The Lord does what? Takes him by the hand and leads him out and then spits on his eye, do a little salve again. And the guy, verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up and he was, what? Restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell any to any in the town. Again, the process. That's what I want you to see. Now, we'll get over here in 8. We'll get in the doctrine and everything, and we'll see. But when he, usually when the Lord does a miracle, it's just boom, done. But not here. Because Mark is demonstrating, here's the servant. And you know, have you ever, have you ever seen a house cleaner? someone who cleans houses for a living or cleans buildings for a living, you know they have a process. They don't just come in and go, I think we'll vacuum the floor first. No, they usually start where? Top and work down. Why? Because all the junk falls to the floor. That's the last thing. You, at least that's what I always understood. That's how I do it. <laughs> you know? But what do they, they have? What does the servant of the Lord have? He's got a process. And the issue here, back in Mark 7, is to teach the little flock, that even though you see what's going on out there, there is a process of restoration. The finger of God. The finger of God. Luke 11, he's with the finger, he's casting out the devils. Daniel, the writing on the wall, the finger of God. Moses, the Ten Commandments, the finger, that working of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's going to take God himself working to restore Israel. That's the issue of his fingers. And bringing them back to the capacity of being able to hear the word and then go properly speak the word. Again, he spits on it. I, I love that. Works it in. Again, what are they going to do? They have to have that plainness of speech and it'll be restored. They can't speak until the word of God is resident in their hearts. 
That's what the new covenant's all about. I'll give you a new heart. I'll do this. And I'm going to do what? I'm going to write my law into your heart. And you won't say to your neighbor, know the Lord, because your neighbor will know the Lord, but you will go do Matthew 28 and get out there and preach and have responsibility. That's what they're doing here. So Israel, they need to be restored. They need the, the capacity to hear God's word so then they can go and speak it plainly, restored back to them. They don't have it. They're in apostasy. That's why that whole dealing, the 23 verses on, you make the word of God in effect, your vain religious system, just hammering on them. Why? Because he's demonstrating you need to have faith. But first, he's, again, these two demonstrate the process. For the Gentile in the woman, the Gentile woman, the Syrophoenician woman, she's demonstrating that the Gentiles will be blessed and will be delivered, but where? Under the table. In proper position. But first, Israel has to be what? At the table. Okay? They have to be there before the Gentile dog could eat. Because if they're not there, then there's what? Nothing on the table. So the Gentiles are left out. Okay. So again, the process. Uh, verse 34, um, he sighed. <laughs> he sighed. Boy, the human touch of the Lord, the humanity of the Lord, that's a sigh. Uh, that, uh, that's that emotional response to sorrow. You know, you hear bad news or you hear something heavy and you just sigh. And that's literally, he is really grieved with the condition that Israel is in. He's not just the man, but who, who is he? He is their Messiah. He loves them. They're his people. His heartbeat is for them. And yet he looks at them and he just shakes his head. Oh, Israel, Israel. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. <laughs> if you'd have just paid attention. And that's exactly what he's doing. So the process, by the way, verse 35, he heals him. Verse 36, he tells them, don't, he charges them, don't publish it. So what do they do? Publish it even more. Verse 37, and we're, be, and we're beyond measure astonished, saying, he hath done all these things, all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And that's where he, again, the problem, the picture being painted Here's the national Israel, apostate, unbelief. Look at the Pharisees. Look at the scribes. Look at faith. Here's the Gentiles, proper position. They're waiting for you to come to the table. Hello, come on. And then over here, here is the process in which I'm going to restore them. Okay? Now next week, we'll go in and we'll look at the Gentile lady and catch some of the details that we're not catching right now. And look at some verses. And then we'll look at the deaf and dumb guy and catch those details. Because what he's doing here is he's painting that picture for that little flock, for that believing remnant. But also for the Gentile that's watching of, the, of faith. And then he's sticking a needle in the eye again of the Pharisees, the religious crowd. Goading them. Just boom, constantly. And he's doing all that deliberately. And he'll do it in chapter 8 again. We'll see that. 
then and off and on he goes, okay? So it's tremendous to see here the, the heart of the Messiah as he deals with man. I mean, he's dealing with mankind. It just happens to be these group people groups, and yet he's responding to them in his grace and his mercy and his kindness. I think about that Syrophoenician lady. He didn't have to say a word. He didn't have to do anything. But what's he demonstrate? In spite of Israel being blinded, this is what I'm going to do. Here's my kindness. Here's my mercy. Here's my, here's my farsightedness of what's coming. And I need to use you to picture this for these group. And, and he does that. So well, we're not done with Mark 7, but you can at least get an idea of where we're going, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for everything that we have in your Son, for all that you've given to us, for all the spiritual blessings. And, Lord, I just pray that we would live in them. In your name we pray. Amen.